I always believed I couldn't be the only person who was different. Charles Xavier. We're the next stage of human evolution. There's the others out there. We can help them. Mankind, they're gonna turn on us. They need us. You ready for this? Let's find out. X-Men First Class. We did PG-13. Yeah, that's one of the TV uh, advertisement spots for X-Men First Class, which just opened a couple days ago in theaters everywhere and seems to be uh, universally being uh, praised by everyone that I'm hearing. Uh, all all kinds of good, really, <laughs> if I could speak, really great reviews. And I'm going to see it later today. Uh, but uh, right now I am recording this week's podcast for Treks and Sci-Fi. I'm Rico, your host. This is Podcast 334. For June the 5th, 2011. Today on the podcast, we're going to be looking at the uh, TOS original series episode, The Return of the Archons, which is uh, from the first season and an episode that I've uh, not covered yet, but we'll be talking over that one uh, quite a bit on today's podcast. I just uh, grabbed some clips from the episode. I'm not going to do the uh, whole playthrough of it. Uh, this one I decided to just grab clips, and I'll talk about it as we go. And, you know, usually talk about a few other things first on the show, uh, a little bit about some uh, kind of announcements of things, and, and just all kinds of geeky fun. So sit back and enjoy the upcoming uh, edition of Trek and sci-fi. Hello everyone and welcome to the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Scotty, be me. Fascinating. Stand by to receive our transmission. Well, hello again, everyone. I'm Rico, and I just want to again say thanks uh, so much for downloading the podcast and tuning in once again, or perhaps for the very first time to Treks in Sci-Fi, which now is going on almost uh, getting close to six years of doing a weekly podcast about Star Trek, Star Wars, uh, other science fiction and fantasy, television movies, uh, just all kinds of fun, geeky topics, uh, things that I enjoy uh, every day, uh, comic books, uh, uh, a lot of things about comics going on these days, especially a lot of movies coming out, just like that X-Men uh, trailer that I uh, played for you at the beginning of the show. You know, the X-Men uh, was probably perhaps one of, besides maybe Spider-Man, I can't quite remember, but X-Men and Spider-Man were both a couple of the first comics that I ever read uh way, way back years ago, uh, and were probably have t basically been my favorites for a very long time, decades of, of reading those comics. So the X-Men, uh, probably I think I've said before, uh, Spider-Man's probably my favorite superhero-type comic character, but the X-Men are pretty close behind that. I, I've always enjoyed the comics. I feel that sometimes over the years they've, they've spread out a little too much, into too many different comics and too many different books. Uh, sometimes that becomes a little frustrating. You know, there's Team A, X-Men, Team B, C, D, you know, X-Men, 
there's the you know British X Men. There's the Canadian X Men. You know they're called different names at times. And the Ultimate X Men, which is sort of a whole different take on the X Men, and, and it's sort of a different alternate kind of universe. But yeah, you know the basic core X Men and the you know just this idea of these mutants that have these abilities that they're born with. They can't really help it. Uh, and, and a lot of times it makes them look different, appear different, act different, and, and they're sort of shunned by society, but they, you know, have decided to use these powers to, to help people and, and to try to save, uh, you know, people from different, you know, disasters or whatever happens to be going on in the world rather than, you know, using their powers for, for evil, perhaps, or, or just not bothering and saying, hey, you know, why, why should I help you humans? You know, you guys hate us anyway. So uh, it, it's, it's a great concept, great idea, and it, it, it's really uh, a, just, you know, one of my favorite books, and I'm really looking forward to seeing this movie. Uh, a lot of guys in the, in, in, uh, people on the forums have seen it already and, and seem to be really liking it. My son, my older son, saw it on opening day on, on Friday evening and, and just said it was great. He, he just really uh, loved it a lot. He said, sent me a couple of text messages. So it's uh, it's something I'm looking forward to seeing today. I'm kind of a little sad that I haven't seen it yet so I could talk about it more and, and uh, review it for you guys. But I think uh, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it. As far as the first three X-Men movies, you know, I, I may have said this before too. I probably have. I talked a little bit about them. But uh, the first two I, I really enjoyed quite a bit. You know, they change a few things, of course, from the from the comics. But I think the essence was that was there quite you know quite well. I think they did a good job with the characters and the stories were pretty good. But the third one just you know ugh, that that movie just <laughs> for me was not good at all. Not not an X Men movie, and and they just went off in in directions that just didn't work. And uh, it's it's not. Uh, I'm just glad that they're they decided to go back and, and do the, this movie. I don't know. It's interesting to know, or interesting to we'll, we'll have to see what happens if this movie does really well. Will they continue to do movies set like in this time frame in the past, uh, or will they move these kind of characters up more to the future? What will they do? It's uh, we'll see how that works out. Uh, but I, I hope they do great uh, at the box office. I think they're going to do well. And uh, I said before when I did my summer, summer uh, movie preview discussion that you know the the good thing pretty good thing this summer is that most of the movies are at least aren't coming out that i want to see on the very same weekend uh there is a little bit of a lag although next week we're getting super eight the week after that we're getting green lantern so there's not a whole lot of time so you got to keep up with <laughs> seeing these movies at this time of year if you, or else you'll you'll end up missing them and have to you know and and some people that doesn't bother them i like to see this kind of stuff in the theaters I enjoy it, and it's it's part of my summer kind of ritual to go see these movies in the movie theater, especially the ones I really want to see. I actually saw The Hangover last week, which is pretty good. The Hangover 2, not a sci-fi or fantasy movie, of course. Although some of the stuff that, that goes on in the movie is a little, you know, fantastic and over the top. But it, that's just a fun comedy kind of movie to see. And uh, um, what else has been going on for me this last couple of weeks? Or you know, last week we did the Tron show with with uh, Jedi Jeff. Again, thanks Jeff for uh, for sitting in with me and co-hosting on that one. I was very happy with how that show worked out and came uh, together. I think we covered a lot of ground in the hour and a half or so the show lasted, or was it longer? Was it two hours? I don't know. It was a long one, but I think we we, we definitely spent the time uh, well and uh, and were able to give people a lot of info. 
and hopefully encourage people to go back and watch that first Tron film again. Uh, I'm doing another kind of uh, sort of a retro movie in a way, or at least an older, slightly older movie. Uh, it doesn't seem that old to me, but to some people maybe. Uh, Blade Runner is going to be next week's podcast, so that's going to be fun. And, you know, I haven't actually watched the film in a while, so I'm going to try this coming week. I, I will definitely be sitting down and watching the movie again, gathering some notes and clips, and, and uh, hopefully Blade Runner is going to be an interesting one to cover just because it's such a, well, it's it's kind of an iconic uh, sci-fi movie, and, and it's very well, uh, you know, regarded. And it's also got multiple versions of it out. You know, there's there's... It's been re-edited and recut, and director's version, director's you know on you know whatever version, and it, you know there's probably a half a dozen different versions of that movie around. I haven't quite sh- figured out how I'm going to handle that uh, idea, but uh, I'll figure out something. Probably just cover mostly the uh, the, the the last version, the kind of Ridley Scott's uh, final cut or something like that, and then and talk about maybe the differences that were between that and the first like theatrical release uh, so uh, but that should be good to do and uh, you know the summer uh, has also sort of uh, created this little nice time to kind of catch my breath and uh, since television shows have kind of wind wound down now and we're going to get some new stuff in the uh, coming uh, month of July warehouse 13 will be back eureka uh, this new sci-fi show called Alphas. Uh, I'm not so sure about that one, but uh, we'll see how it works out. But we'll at least have some stuff to watch over the summer. Uh, I've caught up on Sanctuary uh, from the Sci-Fi Channel. Uh, that's that's uh, that's always just been a really good, solid show for me. I thought it, it you know, they they have some interesting characters, and and they've sort of really gone on and expanded in the last season or so. And of course, we have Doctor Who. Although I, I didn't watch this week's episode yet, but they're taking a little break with Doctor Who. They're splitting it up into kind of two parts to the season. And there will be a break here for, um, I, I don't know if it's two, three months before we're going to get the last half kind of of the season. There's been some really great, uh, crazy things going on in that show. Uh, I'm not going to say very much. We've also got a uh, guest podcast in a couple of weeks after my, I think it's just after the the Blade Runner cast. Yeah, it'll be the week after that. So in about two weeks, you're going to get a special Doctor Who show uh, with uh, Casey, Kenny, and Meds. Uh, our Doctor Who panel, uh, basically, they they always come through and do some great Doctor Who casts, and I know they're going to have a lot to say about the current season of Doctor Who, and should probably be covering up through, I think it's episode seven we're getting, and then the the break is happening is where they're at. So uh, so that's going to be fun to hear, and I I think the season's been good. It's a little different than last season. It, it's 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 got a little bit more of a. Uh, I don't know what 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 you would call it. Kind of a, I was about to say darker tone, but it's it's got kind of a more overarching story that element going on. I think in it than than they did in maybe maybe in the first uh, Matt Smith season last year, where there I felt that the episodes were a little bit more standalone uh, to a degree. But we'll have to see. It's hard to judge it now just based on you know the first half or so of the season. But I'm enjoying the heck out of it. I think it's a great series. And uh, if you've never watched any of the new Doctor Who, I, I, I highly encourage people to do that. Uh, you can go back uh, and watch it starting in the, the 2005 season. Or even just jump aboard uh, with the Matt Smith stuff, which is just last season, uh, if you feel like that, uh, you know, starting in there. And 
however you'd like to do it. I know there's a lot of it that's streaming on Netflix now. You know, Netflix has just become just this great source to watch uh, television uh, shows on and movies, of course, too, with their streaming ability and all of that. So it's uh, it's just very, very cool to be able to do that for a fairly low, really low monthly fee for the kind of entertainment value you get. And I seem to be noticing that more and more stuff is showing up on Netflix faster and faster in the streaming mode rather than the disc you know, version where you wait for the disc. I, I know that I've heard talk and, and rumors in a way that in a, you know, a couple of years or so that, that Netflix, I think, is is trying to push and shoot for almost having a, a you know, completely streaming only uh, and, and no discs will be mailed around because that's got to be kind of a pain for them when you think about it. Uh, I, I've gotten a couple of, of broken discs and I've gotten discs sometimes that have been uh, not the correct disc in the, in, the, in the envelope. You know, it's like, oh, that's not that movie or whatever, but... Uh, but yeah, they're they're just a great service, and if you're not on Netflix, you, you know, for the you know, it's like I think the basic just streaming only is like six bucks a month or something like that. I mean, that's that's really nothing, you know, these days even. So it's it's great. You can't even buy like practically a gallon of gas anymore for the price of whole mo- a whole month of streaming Netflix. It's crazy. So uh, that's uh, I guess enough about Netflix. I'm gonna take a short break here. Come back with a couple of Star Trek-related stories in the news of, of, of late. Oh, one last thing I wanted to say. Check out trekradio.net. That's trekradio.net. And you will be able to find uh, the podcast over there. That's a basically a, it's a streaming internet radio station, which plays all kinds of cool Star Trek podcasts and content. And uh, I think uh, Treks and Sci-Fi is now currently... Uh, airing over there on Tuesdays in the morning. So if you uh, want to check out their schedule, I, I put a link up uh, on the main treksandsci-fi.com webpage. If you just go there, if you don't want to write down uh, trekradio.net, you can just check out the main page later uh, when you get a chance, and you'll see a link there and some of their schedule information and all that. So definitely check that out uh, when you get a chance, and you'll be able to hear all kinds of cool Trek-related content there on trekradio.net. So taking a break, I'll be back in a moment with some Trek news. Oh, and during this break, you're going to hear a review, I believe it's of Kung Fu Panda 2 by our uh, uh, youngest announcer and and, uh, audio uh, contributor, Clara. So listen to uh, her talking about Kung Fu Panda 2. Hello, Treks and Sci-Fi listeners. This is Ryan and Clara from Toronto coming at you with a summer movie review for... Clara. Clara, what did you see last night? I saw Kung Fu Panda. Yeah, and where did we see it? At the drive-in in the car. Did you like it? Was it the first time you'd been there? It was the first time I'd been there. Oh, awesome. So what did you think of the movie? What happened? The peacock was trying to kill... Kung Fu Panda, Tigress, and the Snake, and Mantis, and Monkey. Did you have a favorite part in the movie? When, when they were trying to kill um, the dragons and the crocodiles. Oh, yeah, I remember that. There was a, a crocodile, Kung Fu Master, and I think uh, a rhino one. You know what my favorite part was? When they were all stuck inside the dragon costume and they were running around and they looked like a big Pac-Man and they were eating the bad guys up and spitting them out. You remember that part? <laughs> that was funny. Um, 
Were there any sad parts? Uh, when Kung Fu Panda fell into the water. Yeah. And his master was sad. Oh. Did it have a happy ending? Yes. That's good. And how would you rate it, Clara? How many stars would you give it? Seven. Seven? Out of five? Out of five. So everybody should go see the movie? Mm-hmm. All right, so there you have it. That's Kung Fu Panda 2, and apparently everyone should go see it. So thank you from Ryan and Clara from Toronto. And Clara is how old? Four. Four. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, thank you, Ryan and Clara, so much for your uh, review of Kung Fu Panda 2. Uh, yeah, I'd like to see that movie. I enjoyed the first one with uh, uh, Jack Black as Kung Fu Panda and Angelina Jolie as Tigress and all the others. You know, and this one's got a good uh, good villain, Peacock. Sounds uh, sounds like it's a lot of fun. It's at a little local movie theater here uh, near where I live uh, that's uh, sort of a... It's 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 real close to where uh, the house is, and I, I think I'm going to take my wife Lynn, and we're going to go see that some evening. I think, uh, even though I don't know if she's, I don't think she saw the first one, but I, I think you can probably see the second one without maybe seeing the first one if if you can or if you need to. So thank you for sending that in, and I hope that uh, Clara, you do some more reviews in the future of stuff that you like to see at the movies or on TV. So uh, please uh, please do that. Send those in. Okay, let's go off and talk a little bit about um, Star Trek and what's been going on in Star Trek in the last couple of weeks in the news. Uh, first up, yesterday, which is it's kind of, I guess, not much you can do about this now, but maybe you can look up what the uh, pricing uh, and the auctions went for. But there was another uh, Star Trek memorabilia auction yesterday through a, a place called Prop Works, which is Prop W-O-R-X. Uh, and I'll try to put a link in the podcast notes, but you can find most of these stories over at trekmovie.com. Uh, but they had some cool stuff. They had a matte painting from the original Star Trek series, uh, a costume from that series. They had quite a few little props and, and some stuff from uh, all the various series, Enterprise, Deep Space Nine, Voyager. They had some scripts. I bid on a couple of things. Of course, things went for hundreds more than I, I wanted to bid or, or buy them for. Uh, but uh, And I know I think Rick Pete on the forums. I think Rick also uh, put in a few bids. Some of this stuff went up for crazy. They had, for example, this uh, scanner, uh, what's called a hero version of the prop uh, that was used on Enterprise that had lights and I think sounds perhaps that one of the Makos w- used on Enterprise that went for like $3,500 or $3,600 I saw. Uh, a lot of stuff went for like, I'd say in the, in the upper hundreds, like, you know, seven $800. I saw a lot of items going in that range, maybe about 1000 Uh There were some things that went for a lot more, but uh, probably I'd say a lot of the stuff was going for like about $1,000 or less, uh, although that still is enough, you know, a lot of money. Some of these things were really, you know, it's like this tiny little piece of plastic or something from a set somewhere. But, you know, oh, sold for $800. <laughs> it's like, uh, but I could see the appeal. I mean, these were, um, for the most part, there were a couple of reproduction type items 
But for the most part, these were basically items and, and replica, not replicas, but items that were actually used on the various Trek series. So that's a little different than buying like a, a replica phaser or something like that. Um, but still very cool stuff and, and uh, a lot of fun to kind of watch the live auction. Uh, they just had sort of a running thing which showed a picture and what the bids were and you could bid. It wasn't like you saw a guy uh, like the Christie's Trek auction that they did several years ago. There wasn't a uh, someone doing that. It was all internet only. Um, what else? The uh, the movie. Let's talk a little bit about Star Trek Twelve or whatever it's going to be called. Star Trek sequel to the Abrams movie. There still is no definitive word on whether it's going to come out on June twelfth, twenty twelve, which is the projected uh, date that they announced uh, over a year ago. Uh, to me, it's still slipping more and more away, and it, it probably will end up being in the you know come out in like the holiday time of 2012, which puts it a year and a half away or so. Uh, I think that's probably true, even though there has still been some stuff. There was a, there was a licensing show in Vegas that had a brochure out that on the cover there was a shot of the Enterprise from the Abrams film, uh, sort of a promotional image, and it says Star Trek uh, coming in you know uh, 2012, summer of 2012. So uh, who knows? We'll see what happens. Uh, a gaming-related Star Trek thing, or Star Trek story, Cryptic, which is the the people behind the Star Trek online MMO-type game, got sold to a Japanese uh, gaming company. And I'm not sure what that's going to mean to the future of Star Trek online. Uh, I, I hope it continues. I still think the game has uh, some good value to it, and they're continuing and have continued to put in updates and new content and all kinds of stuff i would love to see it stick around and i'd love to see it ha go to some kind of free to play uh option that a lot of these games uh mmo type games have been going to age of conan has done that um, there's dungeons and dragons online lord of the rings online all those games have gone to a uh they have a sort of a it's just usually a somewhat more limited play option uh, you don't get all of the goodies and all the content, perhaps, that you do if you pay for it per month. But uh, I think Trek could definitely use the influx of players, even if some of them were playing for free. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, also, William Shatner was in the news. He gave a commencement address at his alma mater in uh, Canada. You know, William Shatner is Canadian, actually. He uh, was at... Um, McGill University in Montreal. Uh, he gave uh, a speech there, uh, delivered the convocation address, and they gave him an honorary doctorate. So he's, uh, I guess he's Dr. Shatner now. <laughs> but he basically said, there's a little blurb during his convocation address, he said, uh, he told the graduates to take risks and not be afraid of making an ass of themselves, <laughs> saying that it worked for him. So, uh, And I guess there's some video online you can see of that uh, as well. So William Shatner there just can't stay out of the news for a week or two. Uh, another Trek story here that I've got is there uh, another video game. Star Trek is finally coming back to the world, uh, the big world of video games, in terms of uh, a game for uh, both PC, Xbox 360, 360, and PlayStation 3. If PlayStation 3 ever really comes back up completely, you know, it's still having tons of issues. But that's another story. 
but this is uh, a Star Trek game. There's not a lot that's uh, out or info on it. It looks like some of the uh, writers who are uh, Robert Orsi and Alex Kurtzman are working on some of this uh, storyline and thing for the game. I wish these two guys would just stop working on other junk and work on the script for the next Star Trek movie. But, you know, hey, whatever. Uh, so this movie, or this movie, sorry, this video game is supposed to come out, I think, about in about a year or so. I'm guessing it'll probably pop out around the time as the next Star Trek movie does. It's supposed to be set uh, or relate to the 2009. It's a game based on the 2009 movie. So who knows what that means? I get, you know, maybe they'll take different uh, sections of the movie and, and create game elements out of those. Uh, we'll have to wait and see, but it'll be cool that uh, on the big main consoles we'll get another Star Trek game sometime in about a year or more, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing how that turns out. Uh, also, uh, just uh, I guess it was just yesterday we had the anniversary of uh, Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Uh, 29 years ago, came out on June 4th, 1982. So uh, everyone uh, should be watching Khan this week, Wrath of Khan, and uh, celebrating uh, 29 years. Gosh, it's hard to believe it was 20, almost 30 years ago that that movie. I can still remember uh, when I saw it in the theaters. And uh, yes, I'm older than 29, but not much. <laughs> all right, what else? I think that was all the Trek-related stuff I had to say this week. Uh, I, I need to uh, probably take a very quick break here, and then we're going to get into looking at Return of the Archons, or The Return of the Archons, uh, episode from TOS. Yep, that's about uh, that's about all. So uh, anyway, short break. I'll be back to talk about the Archons. Hi, I'm Rick Moyer, and I want to tell you about my brand new podcast. It's called Take Him With You. Every week I talk about what's going on in my geeky little world of television music and in my faith my hope is that in a world that can sometimes be really depressing for that at least a few moments you can be encouraged and smile a bit so come check it out www.takehimwithyou.com the weekly podcast that's spiritual not religious i'd love to have you listen thanks Okay, uh, the episode of TOS from the original series, uh, The Return of the Archons. Uh, this episode was um, kind of near the end of season one when it was produced. It was uh, production uh, number 22 in the, in the episode uh, list, I guess you could call it, of TOS. Uh, this, uh, or is it 23? 23, it depends on what you count as the pilot episode and what, what you know, what's counted as the uh, the first episode of Trek. I guess the 23rd produced, but it, that's counting the cage. So that's the way it works. Uh, the, it, the episode first aired on February 9th, 1967. The story is by Gene Roddenberry, uh, teleplay by Boris Sobelman, and directed by Joseph Pivney, who directed quite a bit of TOS. The basic uh, story of this is the Enterprise goes to investigate uh, a missing starship that uh, the uh, the Archon, which disappeared about uh, 100 years ago in this uh, area, and uh, investigating this, this planet, uh, Beta-3, they want to find out uh, what happened to the Archon. You know, one of the things that I always thought about the first part of this episode, and uh, or, or that idea is that 100 years, really 100 years goes by before you go investigate a, a missing ship. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, one of the reasons they do that, in, in a, and this happens at a couple times, a few times in TOS, is 
the they want to see almost it allows them to show that time has gone by on the planet. It's not like the ship just went missing like, you know, last month and they're going to investigate because usually it's something that's happened related to the ship gone missing that's changed or affected things on the planet. So they need some time to go by. But still, 100 years uh, that, you know, always just struck me as a little odd that it's like, hey, boy, if we go missing, if the Enterprise went missing, uh, why don't you guys come and see what happened to us 100 years later? So, um but let's get back to the episode itself, and instead of my little commentary like that, the the this episode, the Return of the Archons, is is a little bit different for a few reasons. It's also an episode that I've never been especially fond of. It's okay, and it's not not a bad episode or anything like that. But it, it's never it, you know back in the days of, of even reruns of only TOS being on the air. If this was the episode that was playing, it was like, nah, I don't really need to watch that one again. I kind of know the basic story. It doesn't do a lot for me. So, I, you know, I'll, I'll kind of overlook it. And it's probably been, you know, it's why for a TOS episode in the first season, it's taken me this long to get to discussing it and talking about it. It definitely is not a favorite of mine. I think it has some interesting moments and some fun stuff in it. But it's it, it's it's a pretty simple story, and it, it, again, it's not uh, it's not something that I would go, whoa, okay, uh, like Aaron of Mercy is on, or City on the Edge of Forever, or Charlie X, or or Balance of Terror, or some of the other classics, or Shore Leave. Did I mention Shore Leave? Because I love that episode. But you know, some of the other classic TOS episodes, this de- definitely does not uh, fall into that category, at least for me. But uh, the story starts out a little differently because you see two um, two people running down a street, and one of them is Mr. Sulu, and then there's they're in these sort of old west kind of costumes in a way, uh, and obviously on some planet that's not uh, you know that they're investigating, but they're running. And the the cool thing about that, I thought when I when I've seen this episode over the years is that it's not just the usual Kirk, Spock, and McCoy with a couple of security guys or whatever. It's Sulu and this other guy, O'Neill, and uh, that, I think, is kind of fun, and it's kind of cool to come up or not come up with, um, to to uh, come to the conclusion and, and the idea here that, hey, you know, not every time uh, they go to a planet, the, the first team that goes and beams down and checks things out is not always Kirk and a couple of other people or whatever. It, it can be... Uh, other people will go down and, and check it out. And I like that idea. And I think, you know, that's something that they obviously did a lot more of and tried to do more of on TNG and other uh, Trek series. But in the original series, it was always, you know, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beamed down. You know, you've got the uh, captain, the first officer, and the chief medical officer always just, hey, we're going to leave the ship and beam down. You know, when you think about it, and they brought this up, of course, in TNG, that's probably not really the way things would work or, or the best way. But, of course, those are your main actors, and that's what you do. So with that, uh, let's play the first clip in this episode, which is part of that opening uh, scene that I was talking about. Scotty party to Enterprise. Come in. What is it, Mr. Sulu? Captain, beam us up quick. Emergency. Transporter room. Lock onto Sulu on O'Neill. Beam up immediately. We've got to make a run for it. We can't just stand here. Mr. Neal, stand tight. You'll be messed up any minute. Run, I tell you. We've got to get out of here. You know what they're capable of. O'Neal!
Silver, what is it? Where's Lieutenant O'Neill? What? Who? Lieutenant O'Neill, where is he? You. You're not of the body. Dr. McCoy. Dr. McCoy, transport our room, quickly. You. You did it. They knew we were archons. These are the clothes they wear. Not these. Sulu, take it easy. Sit down. What happened? You're wonderful. You're the sweetest, friendliest people in the universe. It's paradise, my friend. Paradise. Lieutenant O'Neill, where is he? Paradise. Yeah, so uh, so obviously something's happened here. Sulu's a little weird, and they need to go and investigate what else is happening on this planet. Uh, the the planet itself. Uh, I mentioned a couple things. I guess this is probably a good point to do it. The where they filmed this is on. I think it's called Forty Acres or Forty Nine Acres. Yeah, it's a the location used for this episode. It was the it was called the Forty Acres Backlot. This is the same area that they filmed the episodes Miri and also even uh, the city on the edge of forever. It was also the same location. This 40 acres backlot was the location of uh, Mayberry from the Andy Griffith show. So a little trivia there for you. The connection, if you wanted to ever had a trivia question, what's the connection between the Andy Griffith show and uh, Star Trek, the original series, you could say that they they shared uh, the same backlot uh, where they filmed some uh, of their episodes. So that's kind of a neat little thing. Uh, what else did I want to say before we go on to the next clip? There are some things you'll see in this episode that are used in other episodes. There's a cell later on that they're held in, uh, sort of a little area that they they're, when they're captured, they're held in the, the little dungeon kind of looking place. It's the same uh, cell in that area, that set that's used in also in Errand of Mercy in the episode Cat's Paw. So, well, let's play the next clip. Of course, Sulu is kind of messed up, so now we get the main um, three, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, a couple other guys. Uh, we get this new uh, character named Lindstrom in this episode, who actually has some lines, which is kind of fun. I like that idea, too, that it's not just the main three that are you know, getting the, all the lines in the episode and get some things to talk about. And I'll talk a little bit more about Lindstrom, too, uh, in a couple of minutes. Captain's log, stardate 3156.2. While orbiting planet Beta-3, trying to find some trace of the starship Archon that disappeared here a hundred years ago, a search party consisting of two Enterprise officers were sent to the planet below. Mr. Sulu has returned, but in a highly agitated mental state. His condition requires I beam down with an additional search detail. Materialization completed, Kirk out. Odd. The expression on that man's face, the mindlessness. Vacant contentment. 
like Sulu. If everybody on this planet is like him, let's go. Yeah, so when the Enterprise group beams down there, they, they discover that these people are all just a little bit uh, weird and they're kind of like Sulu, you know, and, you know, they, they, they're just in this sort of day, sort of like they've taken some kind of a, a happy pill and they don't uh, seem to care what's going on. It's, uh, it, it's, it's pretty weird, you know, and obviously, you know, they're trying to blend in Kirk and, and his team, and that's, that's what they at least try to do at first, which eventually doesn't work so well because uh, this thing called Festival starts. Festival! Festival! And the, the clock, this clock that rings uh, 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 6 o'clock, and it, basically uh, the minute that happens, uh, the whole town kind of goes wild. You know, people are smashing in windows. Uh, girls are sort of throwing themselves on guys. Guys are attacking girls. It's all its all just one big, you know, it's like Mardi Gras. <laughs> it looks like to me. But uh, they're... Um, you notice the um, one little, also another little bit of trivia is that the clock chime sounds that they use in the episode, there are little different sounds that they used on the DVD versus the old video cassettes that they put out for this episode. I'm not really sure why they changed it, maybe to make it a little a sound a little bit louder, uh, but they, they did change uh, the sounds for the clock. And uh, after that, or during the, uh, when the festival thing starts, the, the landing party decides they better take shelter. So they run off to a building and, and, and jump inside, and I think that's when this next clip takes place. Yes, that's right. We're from the valley. You came for the festival? Yes. And how come you here? Are you Reger? Yes. You have a daughter named Tula? Yes. Well, you better do something. She's outside. I know. It's festival. It's the will of Landrew. Reger. These are young men. They're not old enough to be excused. They're visitors. Well, have they no lawgivers in the valley? Why be they not at the festival? We heard that you might have rooms for us. Yeah, you see, Hakem, they've merely come looking for a place to rest afterwards. The red hour has already struck. Hakem, these be strangers. The valley has different ways. Do you say that Landrew is not everywhere? No, of course not. It's simply that they may have different ways. They've come looking for shelter. Can I turn them away? Come, please. But the girl, out there. She is in festival, as you should be. Come, please, hurry. Yeah, so you get to hear a little about Lindstrom there. That you know, he's a little concerned about uh, that uh, girl Tula, and uh, she is uh, obviously out there running around in festival. Uh, the uh, one thing about that is, is there was a, originally supposed to be in the script at least there was a little subplot going on with Lindstrom falling in love with um, with her that was cut uh, it was cut from the final draft of the script. I thought that would have been kind of an interesting thing to 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 pull in especially being that it wouldn't be Kirk falling in love with the local alien girl or whatever it would be Lindstrom here who's a uh, actor uh, playing Lindstrom is Christopher Held is his name and uh, I think that would have been kind of cool and uh, I'm getting a little ahead of myself but Lindstrom is 
someone that stays behind at the end of this episode on the planet and would have maybe given a, a little bit more of a reason for him staying behind like that on the uh, on the planet to help them at the end. So uh, he's also, if you watch this episode closely, there is a scene right before they run into that house where they're running away from the festival enraged crowd and Lindstrom, uh, the actor playing him is running and he get, gets uh, kind of hit in the head with a little rock, like a softball sized rock. It's a prop rock, I think, but he, he just keeps running. It doesn't like fall down. He didn't want to ruin the, uh, the take. So, uh, so that's uh, watch out for that if you uh, watch the episode, which is up on the streaming fun stuff player on the forums over at Treks and Sci-Fi. If you want to watch the episode for the next week or so. Uh, also, the name of this episode, which I was going to say earlier, the Archons, and obviously in the episode itself, the Archons, uh, the name came from the ship that the uh, that first visited a hundred years ago to Beta Three, but the the Archons itself name came from Gene Roddenberry because it was a club uh, that he belonged to, the Archons it was called, a club he belonged to when he was in school. And so that is uh, where he came up with the name Archons for uh, the ship and the fact that the Enterprise crew is sort of, basically they're considered the the returning Archons, uh, you know, people from the sky coming back to this planet. So uh, that's where the name came from for this episode. Let's see, what's next on the clip list? I've got... uh, Oh, I think the next clip here involves these these uh, characters called lawgivers. There are these guys who basically look like Jedi Knights in these robes with hoods who hold these long kind of hollow-tubed uh, type devices that they use to uh, absorb uh, people that are not of the body. And uh, But the uh, this clip here, I think, is when the Enterprise crew runs into the lawgivers and... Uh, Kirk is not really too uh, happy to go along with what they have to say, so listen to this. He is the one. He mocked the lawgivers. I heard him. No, Hickam. It was a jest. The others, they were here, but they scorned the festival. I saw it. Tamar, stand clear. I hear and obey the voice of Landra. You attack the body. You have heard the word and disobeyed. You will be absorbed. What do you mean absorbed? There, you see, not of the body. You will be absorbed. The good is all. Landru is gentle. You will calm. Yeah, so anyway, the uh, they're, uh, you know, confronting these guys and they have to deal with these lawgiver types. Oh, sorry, I got... Uh, Got interrupted there for a second. Uh, my younger son was home for the weekend, and uh, Eric, as Lynn was about to take him back to uh, Michigan State to uh, take him up to school, so I had to say goodbye. He was a big help, uh, taking a little uh, 
break from the podcast of Trek uh, talk, but uh, he helped me out yesterday moving a whole bunch of mulch we got delivered. So I know you guys are all interested to hear that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> anyway, back to Kirk and dealing with the lawgivers in The Return of the Archons. Let's get back to that. The, you know, these guys are, are the, the lawgivers kind of act like almost computerized drones, you know, that, and the Enterprise crew starts to pretty quickly decide that, uh, you know, they, they could, uh, they can't get very far talking to them, you know, they don't, uh, they can't deal with things that are out of the ordinary very much. And there's this, um, uh, there's just a difficulty there and they just kind of refuse to go along with what they have to say. And uh, obviously that if they have uh, someone that they can't quite uh, absorb, uh, they will just kill them if they don't if it doesn't work. And also during this time, uh, Kirk contacts the Enterprise and finds out that the Enterprise is being pulled down out of orbit uh, from some kind of energy from the planet. And I think that's the next clip I have for you. So listen to this. Some of us escaped the directives. Not many, but a few. It was that way when the first Archons came. The Archons? Tell me about them. They had invaded the body, but they resisted the will of Landru. You see, Landru had pulled them down from the skies. Pulled them down from the skies? A starship? Mr. Spark, those power readings you took, are they... Powerful enough to destroy a starship? Affirmative. Direct to Enterprise, come in. Captain, we're under attack. There are heat beams of some kind coming up from the planet's surface. Status report. Our shields are holding, but they're taking all our power. If we try to warp out or even move on impulse engines, we'll lose our shields and we'll burn up like a center. Orbit condition. Checking. We're going down, Captain. Unless we can get those beams off us so we can use our engines, we're due to hit atmosphere in less than 12 hours. Keep your shield up. Do everything you can to maintain orbit. We'll try and locate the source of the beam and stop it here. Impossible to break away. I've tried the emergency bypass circuits, but they haven't been effective. Yeah, so Scotty's up there in charge, and uh, poor Scotty, every time he seems like he takes command of the Enterprise, something bad starts to happen to it. <laughs> it's, yeah, I remember in the Apple, same thing, you know, it's something's going on down on the planet, and the Enterprise also is being messed with. So the, the festival I wanted to also talk about, uh, it's not really super clear when you see the episode how often this takes place. Does it, does it happen... Uh, you know, like six o'clock every night, that's probably doesn't seem likely because they really trash the place and trash the town. I wouldn't see they could fix everything and, and then do it again the next night. Uh, the, uh, the, this story though, there, there were some very early Star Trek books that were published by, uh, and written by James Blish, who sort of adapted the episodes into more lengthy stories. And if you, um, if you look up Return of the Archons in that, they say uh, it relates to uh, and, and related to the festival that uh, Reger or Reger is telling Tula, his daughter, uh, that uh, he says, that, you know, when she comes back in after the festival, you know, he kind of says to her, oh, it's OK. It's all, it's at least over for another year. So it sounds like from the story in the in the novelization of this episode, that festival only takes place once a year, which uh, <laughs> 
I guess it's probably a good thing, especially with what you know what they do during that time. And it's also not really clear why uh, Landrew. I, I, I guess you you could get uh, into the kind of you know weird stuff. Well, not really weird, but because everyone is kept in this sort of very tranquil, peaceful state. And let's just say that maybe there aren't a whole lot of baby-making times going on during that tranquil state. So maybe it's almost like the pond far for Vulcans that it's only during festival where uh, where women end up being, you know, let's just say uh, with with child <laughs> once a year, if, if that works or makes sense. I don't know. Again, stuff that they don't really get into a lot of detail in the episode, but... Now, again, maybe it's just a way for the, everyone, you know, human beings to let off steam since the rest of the time they're they're just completely calm and tranquil and, you know, don't display a lot of crazy, you know, wild emotions. So uh, next clip. Then you, you finally get to a point in the episode where uh, this there's a projection of this character named Landrew, and I think uh, that is what you're going to hear right now. Projection, Captain. Unreal. But beautiful, Mr. Spock, with no apparatus at this end. You have come as destroyers. You bring an infection. You are holding my ship. I demand that you release it. You have come to a world without hate, without fear, without conflict. No war, no disease, no crime. None of the ancient evils. Landrew seeks tranquility, peace for all, the universal good. We mean you no harm. Ours is a mission of peace and goodwill. The good must transcend the evil. It shall be done. So it has been since the beginning. He doesn't hear you, Captain. Maybe he'll hear this. Put that away. Landrew. Listen to me. You will be absorbed. Your individuality will merge into the unity of good. And in your submergence into the common being of the body, you will find contentment and fulfillment. You will experience the absolute good. Yeah, so that's uh, Landrew, uh, played by an actor named Charles McCauley. Uh, and, you know, the, there is the cool thing about this episode, or one of the things, is they're, they're set sort of in a, a fairly, you know, older town-looking place. You know, they there's, there's not a lot of technology, but you get these little bits of, uh, you know, pretty advanced technology there. There's a projection, kind of a holographic-type projection of Landrew. There is this light device that uh, I think it's, uh, is it Redger that brings out? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Redger that brings out uh, at one point when they're in this down in the basement kind of cell area. And, you know, there are these little glimpses in these little hollow tubes the lawgivers use. Uh, there's these little glimpses of technology that you get to see in this episode, even though the society itself seems to live a pretty simple, primitive kind of life. And that starts to lead the crew and, and Kirk and Spock and, and them 
to uh, to come to the conclusion that there's a little bit more under the surface here than they, uh, you know, that it first appears. Next, I think, uh, what do we got? Uh, yeah, uh, this is, um, after they're captured, there's this little uh, sort of high-pitched noise, and it knocks everyone out, and then they're captured. The uh, They meet up with a character uh, called Marplon, and he is this guy that basically puts people in this device to absorb them and make them a part of the body. Marplon's play, played by an actor that I've seen in a lot of older uh, TV shows and movies called Torrin Thatcher is his name. And uh, there, this scene, I think, is with Spock when he is put into the machine. And it turns out Marplon's kind of on their side. He's one of the people that is working kind of against Landrew kind of secretly. And uh, they have... Uh, before this, though, they've taken McCoy, and McCoy has been absorbed and, and made into uh, one of the body. And so, uh, but uh, listen to this clip, and I think this is mostly between Spock and Marplon. Have no fear, friend. The effect is harmless. My name is Marplon. I was too late to save your first two friends. They have been absorbed. Beware of them. He is unharmed, unchanged. I am the third man in Rager's triad. We have been awaiting your return. We are not Archons, Marplon. Whatever you may call yourselves, you are in fulfillment of prophecy. We ask your help. Where is Rager? He will join us. He is immune to absorption. Hurry. We have not much time. Who is Landrew? I cannot answer your questions now. Andrew, he will hear. Here are your weapons. You may need them. Behave as you saw your captain behave. It is done. Joy be with you. Peace and contentment. You also get to see Spock smile kind of in that scene a little bit. Uh, <laughs> because he's trying to kind of blend into being in part of the body and being in this tranquil state of absorption and all that. The little council that Marplon uses there, too, is also seen in a few other episodes of Trek, the original uh, series. of it, It's seen in the episode I, Mud, The Lights of Zatar, The Enterprise Incident, and also in Whom Gods Destroy. You know, that, that happened a lot on TOS. You know, the budgets were not very big, and they had to reuse a lot of, uh, you know, props and set dressing and equipment and things that they built. Kind of usually made them look a little different in some way, painted or changed them in some fashion, added a few other little doodads or something like that, and tried to uh, to make them not look so apparently, you know, like what they'd used before. And that usually wasn't episode to episode. There's usually gaps. Most of those other episodes that this council that I said was used in, for example, were in like season two and a little bit in season three. So, uh, you know, they hoped people would forget, and they didn't expect 40-plus years later people would be examining these episodes like we are uh, on this podcast today. So, uh, next clip. And this is uh, this is kind of fun, and uh, a part of this episode that I, that I do kind of enjoy. DeForest Kelly, playing Dr. McCoy, gets to have a little fun in this episode because he gets absorbed and becomes uh, 
part of the body and one with Landrew and all that good stuff. And it it makes Kirk and Spock have to sort of conspire against the Doctor. But he kind of catches on to it eventually. And in this scene, uh, some of it's action, and there's not a a huge amount of dialogue. But McCoy kind of discovers that they're not of the body, and uh, he gets to have some fun doing a little... um, kind of acting job here and, and acting kind of nutsy so that's fun and McCoy acts nuts you know crazy pretty well he, he DeForest Kelly did a good job on that and it, it happens in a few episodes of TOS but I I've always enjoyed it when McCoy goes kind of off the deep end a little bit and, and this is one of those examples so listen to this if you want to be liberated from Landrum we'll need your help You're not of the body. Peace. You're not. To you, You're friend. You're not of the body. Joy and front. Lawgivers. Peace. Lawgivers. Traitor. Traitors. Traitors. Doc, I don't want to hurt you. Traitors. Yeah, good old DeForest Kelly. That's uh, good. And you get to see Spock punch a guy out in that episode, too. That's what it happens there. And Kirk has the line, something like, isn't that a little old-fashioned? Because, of course, he doesn't do his, his his patented Vulcan nerve pinch on him. And uh, I, I like the fact that Spock, uh, you know, throws a punch now, and then that's fun. Uh, the uh, you know this episode then comes to a final kind of head and conclusion when they make their way to where Landrew is, and they see another projection, but eventually discover that uh, Landrew is nothing more than just a big old sophisticated computer that you know thousands of years ago someone programmed this machine to uh, sort of uh, basically uh, make the uh, life here on this planet uh, very peaceful and balanced. And uh, Kirk doesn't think that's such a good idea, and he decides to do, uh, and this happens a few times throughout TOS, he, 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 Kirk has the ability to talk a computer to death. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's always fun to outlogic a machine, and uh, that's what you get to hear in, in this clip. And it, it's, it, it works pretty well. Uh, they... They kind of don't talk a lot about the the Federation and, and Starfleet's prime directive in this episode. They use the word prime directive, and this is actually the first time that is, that phrase is used in Trek. There's another little bit of trivia for you, but they don't uh, they don't deal too much with the don't interfere with the society factor in this episode because obviously taking out Landrew in this computer system and making everyone not of the body anymore. And allowing them to basically have free will and and, and complete uh, autonomy and do what they want is, is certainly violating the prime directive and, and messing with this culture. But you know, Kirk would say that's in their best interest. I know what's best, and this is you know, even though for six thousand years it's worked just fine, you know, with Landrew basically. Except there's a few people that kind of resist it somehow. One of them's kind of immune to absorption, and and I don't, I forget how the other ones are all, uh, you know, the the few that are, are are kind of working against and conspiring against Landrew on the planet there. But it, you know, I of course think it's you know. Uh, a great idea. I don't would never want a machine to tell me what to do. I don't even like it when people tell me what to do or think. But 
you know, it, it works. And I think it's, it's, it's very much a period of its time. You know, a lot of Star Trek, especially the real original series, I think those, you know, technology was advancing. And, and, and I think there was, there were people. And, and of course you had that, the whole like sort of dropping out type of society then, you know, the hippie culture of the time of, of, you know, Hey, the man can't tell me what to do and I'm just going to, you know, grow flowers and, and braid my hair all the time. And that's all I'm going to do. Not going to get a job, not going to work for the man and all that. I, you know, I think there's a happy balance and I of course don't feel that way, but, uh, it is, uh, you know, it makes sense this episode would would, uh, would work pretty well in the 60s. And I think it still works pretty well today. I think there's a lot of people that feel like, you know, with, you know, the computerization and technology and we're all kind of losing ourselves and getting sort of swept up in all this and, you know, never a chance for a festival anymore. <laughs> never a chance to sort of smell the roses. And uh, I think you just have to make your own time for that and, and make it a priority. And, uh, wow, I'm getting all kinds of... Uh, you know, weird uh, kind of morality, not really morality, but uh, discussion here. But let's play this uh, where Kirk gets to talk Landry to death uh, clip. Landry, machine. This whole society is a machine's concept of perfection, peace, harmony, but no soul. I am Landry. You have intruded. Well, out its plug, Mr. Spock. Your devices have been neutralized, so it shall be with you. I am Landru. Landru died 6,000 years ago. I am Landru. I am he. All that he was, I am. His experience, his knowledge. But not his wisdom. He may have programmed you, but he could not have given you a soul. You are a machine. Your statement is irrelevant. You will be obliterated. The good of the body is the prime directive. Good of the body, Captain. That's the key. Yes. What is the good? I am Landru. Landru is dead. You are a machine. A question has been put to you. Answer. The good is the harmonious continuation of the body. The good is peace, tranquility. The good of the body is the directive. Then I put it to you that you have disobeyed the prime directive. You are harmful to the body. The body is exists. It is healthy. The body is dying. You are destroying it. Do you ask a question? What have you done to do justice to the full potential of every individual of the body? Insufficient data. Without freedom of choice, there is no creativity. Without creativity, there is no life. The body dies. The fault is yours. Are you aiding the body or are you destroying it? I am not programmed to answer that question. Landru, guide us. Landru. Unnecessary, Captain. They have no guidance, possibly for the first time in their lives. 
Andrew, answer the question. Peace, order, and tranquility are maintained. The body lives, but I reserve creativity to me. Then the body dies. Creativity is necessary for the health of the body. This is impossible. Is this truly land? What's left of it after he built and programmed this machine 6,000 years ago? We must create the good. That is the will of land, nothing else. But there is evil. Then the evil must be destroyed. That is the prime directive. And you are the evil. I think I live. You are the evil. The evil must be destroyed. Fulfill the prime directive. You, Andrew, help me. Are the evil. Fulfill the prime directive. Help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Yeah, it was sort of a longer clip, but I think it was good and important to play. Uh, you get to, um, you know, see uh, Kirk use his uh, skill at uh, talking a computer down. And uh, and then, of course, that frees everyone. It makes McCoy and Sulu and anyone else that was absorbed uh, by Landrew come back to their senses. And, and they're all fine after that, after the computer is destroyed. The Enterprise, obviously, is not being pulled down to the surface anymore, and everything's good and well and uh now we have sort of the aftermath and you have uh the planet having to sort of just kind of work things out on its own the people there have to come to their own conclusions and decisions things are not decided for them and uh, that's uh the way they're left and uh, this last clip one more clip to play for you is the end of the episode and it's the kind of a little kirk spock discussion on the enterprise and you get to hear a little bit i think from lindstrom on the planet about how things are going down there happens log stardate 3158.7 the enterprise is preparing to leave beta 3 in star system c111 sociologist lindstrom is remaining behind with a party of experts who will help restore the planet's culture to a human form. Marvelous. What? The late Landrew, Captain. Marvelous feat of engineering. A computer capable of directing the lives of millions of human beings. But only a machine, Mr. Spock. The original Landrew programmed it with all his knowledge, but he couldn't give it his wisdom, his compassion, his understanding, his soul, Mr. Spock. Predictably metaphysical. I prefer the concrete. The graspable, the provable. You'd make a splendid computer, Mr. Spock. That is very kind of you, Captain. Captain, Mr. Lindstrom from the surface. Yes, Lindstrom. Just wanted to say goodbye, Captain. How's it going? Couldn't be better. Already this morning, we've had half a dozen domestic quarrels and two genuine knockdown dragouts. It may not be paradise, but it's certainly human. Sounds most promising. Good luck. How often mankind has wished for a world as peaceful and secure as the one Landrew provided. Yes. And we never got it. Just lucky, I guess. Yeah, so there you have uh, a, a pretty brief and, and quick look uh, and overview of the episode from TOS, The Return of the Archons. 
you know, from season one, like I said, not not one of my favorite episodes, but still fun and, and some cool stuff in it. And uh, I do like uh, a couple other things. One, I, I always like it when the landing party go down and they're, uh, they get to wear sort of costumes or something to blend into the society. Gets them out of their standard uniforms that you see them in week after week. So that's that's cool. And like I said earlier, I like it when McCoy gets to go a little nuts. I like the beginning of it where you see a different kind of landing party uh, come down to the planet. And, uh, you know, the, the, the classic sort of idea of, of uh, this computerized world and perfection being uh, taken out by human beings uh, for the most part. Uh, uh, Spock, too, of course. And that's, that's cool. And, you know, this kind of idea and story also was sort of taken to uh, another similar direction and with the Borg, really. When you think about the Borg, you know, that they just were this unified uh, machine race that everyone had sort of one goal and one mind and, and everything like that. There was a Borg queen, but, you know, that same idea here is, is very evident in this episode of this unified society where everyone has to think and, and, and do kind of exactly what they're told without any free will or creativity, like Kirk says, and all that. So it's it's a very, very Star Trek theme, uh, a Star Trek theme that's, that's used a lot throughout various episodes in all the series, and, and this is no exception here. Started way back, this was one of the first times that was used or uh, that concept was used in Trek. So... We've got a uh, listener comment and a song from Rick Moyer. So let's play that right now. Hi, Rico and everybody at Treks in Sci-Fi. This is Rick Moyer, Moyer777 from the forums. And I am very excited, Rico. What a cool episode. Okay, honestly, this episode was really freaky and scared the crud out of me as a kid. I don't know what it was about those brown-robed guys with the big hollow sticks, but it scared me. I don't know. It was just kind of a creepy episode. And, you know, now that I'm older and I watch it, it's not as creepy. But when I was a kid, I was scared. And uh, a lot of times I go outside and pretend to be those guys in the in the brown robes. with the, And I'd carry around a big stick and I'd make the farm animals on our farm. I'd make them into zombies. That's just because I could, you know. Uh, I think, you know. Anyway, it was fun. So, you know, I wrote a song, of course. I didn't really write this song. I just parodied the song. I like you too. They're playing in Seattle. They played actually in Seattle last night. I didn't get a chance to see them, but I love their music. And so instead of With or Without You, um, this one is a kind of a tribute to this episode. And it's called, are you ready for this? Without Old Landrew. And here you go, Trex and Sci-Fi. Enjoy. Thanks, Rico, for everything you do. Enjoy the song. Captain gave us an order. We've got to find some clues. It's no use, Mr. Sulu. Look, there's one of them. There's another one. Scouty party to Enterprise. Come in. Captain, beam us up quick. Emergency. Transporter room. Lock up the Sulu on O'Neill. Beam up immediately. We've got to make a run for it. We can't just stand here. See the brown roads really thick. See the hollow big long sticks And they serve Landrew Sulu underneath his charm The population he does harm And they serve Landrew 
It's all about Landrew. It's all about Landrew. The red hour comes and then they all lose control for festival. And they serve Landrew. It's all about Landrew. It's all about They can't live without old Landrew. Ranger, these are young men. They're not old enough to be excused. They're visitors. Well, have they no lawgivers in the valley? Are you part of the body? Are you part of the body? Are you part? Are you part? Kirky tries and tricks Landrew with his mind. Sparks they all fly. Nothing left of him, and they blew Landrew away. And they blew Landrew away. And they blew. And they blew. And they.
Oh, to serve Landrew Rick, that, <laughs> great song, great uh, use of. Uh, that's a perfect um, bit of music too to use for that. I, I think uh, it's a really uh, good uh, fit, and always, always so happy when you send in a new, a new uh, song and some comments on the episode that I'm uh, reviewing. And I know you're having a lot of fun with your iPad and uh, and doing all that too uh, in GarageBand. So thanks so much for sending that in, Rick. Uh, always, always appreciate it. And uh, definitely a, a, always a treat for the listeners. I know they always love it, too. So, And that's pretty much rounds up our look at uh, the Return of the Archons. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I've got a, uh, one last brief thing, and then we're just going to wrap up today's podcast. Just wanted to mention, uh, and I just got some samples in the mail uh, from a company called Walls360. That's www.walls360.com. They are another one of these companies that has uh, is putting out uh, different appliques uh, for for different things. But they have a Star Trek line of appliques that you can stick up on your walls of some of the characters, the ships, uh, the bridge, uh, all kinds of cool graphics that come on these sort of peelable uh, wall stickers. Uh, uh, some of them are very huge in size. You can get a picture of the Enterprise and stick it up in your wall. And the neat thing about these. Uh, these sort of decals uh, is that you can pull them off and you know put them back on and take them. They don't hurt your walls at all. I actually had some up in the apartment in Rockford when I was living there, and I was able to peel them off and, and then save them and bring them back here. So uh, if you've got some bare wall space in a bedroom or, or an office or whatever, and you want a cool uh, Star Trek uh, kind of applique to put up there, go over and check out walls360.com. And I'm sure you'll find something that uh, will will fit whatever space. They got them in different sizes, too, which is fun. You know, you can pull up the Enterprise, you know, and, and get it in a size that, that fits wherever the space is, you know, from a pretty small size to a really huge one. And, of course, the bigger they are, the, the more they cost. But, you know, just go over there and take a look and decide uh, what you think. So check that out. That's sort of a kind of a mini collectible review uh, for this week on Treks in Sci-Fi. Like I said earlier, next week on the show, I'm going to be looking at the movie Blade Runner. And I hope uh, many of you can send in me, send in me, send me in some audio. Uh, just, you know, your comments about Blade Runner, what you think of the movie, anything you'd like to say about it uh, would be welcome. And I'm always, always, uh, you know, encourage people send in anything that you'd like a review of x-men or or any other summer movie or book you might be reading or television show send it into trek sf at gmail.com and that's it i'm going to wrap this up try to edit it before i head out to the movies and see x-men myself so uh everyone have a great uh rest of your weekend if you're getting this right away or a great week and i'll talk to you again next time with a look at blade runner take care bye-bye A Wego Dusty Podcast Production.